welcome to another edition of Plain Talking. This time, we've got something of a prayer focus. Richard Gamble, from the eternal wall of answered prayer, will share the stunning results of a recent survey he commissioned. And David Hart of Try Praying will speak about, well, he'll ask the question, Try Praying. But first, we listen again to Timothy Cho, who escaped from North Korea 17 years ago. In the last podcast, Timothy spoke powerfully about his life in North Korea before fleeing to the West. This time, he brings us up to date with his life now and how he views his homeland. It's been a journey of up and down as well, 17 years, because what I have had experienced uh, and many traumatic things in North Korea as well. But these 17 years have been a grateful time, particularly living in the UK for uh, the past 13 years. So anyone comes to ask me what this UK life means to you, Timothy, I would say, and, and I discovered uh, my identity and who I am during this, my life in, in, uh, in the UK. So it helped me to discover who I am and what I love and care about, what I stand for, our democratic constitutional values of freedom of faith and expression and speech in an opportunity. North Korean government and authorities, they don't much care about people as long as the, the authority can survive within the North Korea believes that country exists and continue on. And it's very, very dark having we can uh, and, and recognize on, on the Google satellite uh, through the map. It is dark image as well as the life is dark inside. The current situation is particularly because of the long maintained isolation and continue on uh, uh, the regime survival itself and focus on. So people have been left over by itself. They believe people would survive by themselves. But what great thing has been happening is Christian organizations from outside have stopped supporting and praying and mobilizing international prayers. Although it is a small scale of aid and support physical has been happening, but such as organizations, open doors and other international and charities and Christian organizations, they have continued been sending you know, the light into this darkest country and whole. The so North Korean Christians faith maintained with this and they do, uh, they need also that faith where they can put their hope in there during their darkest life, continue challenging on a daily basis. And when you ask North Korean Christians from that country or who are still there, what is your hope in you and your faith? Probably they would say they cannot expect what's going to happen to them tomorrow. If they're arrested and whole family would sent to prison camp or certain case, they could be executed. What they probably tell you is you can't kill my physical bodies. You cannot keep my faith in God and following Jesus. That's what the persecution is clear. And what I am grateful that I become one of the chosen people and not many SKPs have been managed to arrive in democratic societies. There are total around only 40,000 and, and UK, you may find surprise. UK is the second largest North Korean diaspora community after South Korea wow. and US some in European countries. I call them chosen people. I mean, they can, we continue to need to uh, you know, pray for North Korea, but upon what fact and the situation is happening, people who have had experience. And among these 40,000 people, we are still see that 
training with Christian missionaries and activists like myself and speak on their behalf. I came, since I come to UK, I have been given opportunity to go to school, college and universities and got degrees. And it's not what I'm seeing, what I achieved here, but things what I have been able to have this opportunity, I could not have in North Korea. North Korean people and Christians, someday you will see what kind of a prosperous life they will establish when they have such environment. And I am, and my job is currently working with open doors. And I am also working with the UK or part parliamentary group in North Korea. And they continue to collect and account the crimes against humanity is happening in North Korea. And open doors work mainly also for what's happening in North Korea as that persecution. But we are not just recording and filing all of these documents, but North and open doors case, we continue to smuggle and what we can do. And although it's a small portion of aid, continue to provide. Although this uh, current border lockdown is very severe and they got North Korean's current border law is shoot to kill, means anyone who they discover and crossing the border, they can kill them straight away even without any orders from the author, main authorities. This is what the current situation is. And I would always ask people and who are listening to my radio or whoever can listen to this interview, and please do pray for North Korea and North Korean Christians who are in these circumstances and who are expecting their life can be, you know, a physical body can be killed at any moment. But their faith is great. They, they hope things what we cannot see for what they can see. But they hope in God and giving them comfort and peace. They pray for North Korean people inside directly. But I would also encourage you to pray for North Korean leadership because we are all in, in God's creation. Our heart, when we pray collectively, it reaches out into their heart, making them feel uncomfortable and, and making them feel what they need to do something, sometimes actions. Probably our history have had experience of this. Something is uh, miraculously happened, but we don't see that some in details, but it's God's work we do see because we in heart through, we communicate. King family particularly, I could tell you that they come from very strong Christian family. So first the king, he was a Christian as a boy. He followed his mother to church. His mother, she was baptized by the Pilate Graham father-in-law because he was one of the missionaries in Pyongyang that time. Many churches, universities, and hospitals that time built by missionaries. As we know, the 1907 great revival or the Pyongyang revival called the Second Jerusalem of the East. And Kim Bamil was one of them. And uh, that ancestors used to attend churches, church and attend worship. And even his, his father went to Christian school, who he became later a doctor, you know. And he was actually killed by communists because uh, his father uh, uh, continued on using his, you know, that Christian principle, treating all kinds of, you know, the people. And, and the communists wanted to uh, hire him to become their own doctor, but he refused and later to, he was uh, you know, killed by it. So, and this King family come from strong Christian root. So uh, something, the heart currently is ruled you know, by something 
the darkest, you know, mm. uh, things who continue not them see the truth. So it's important, I think, we, sh- we would pray for the leadership side, they let their hearts feel uncomfortable, and also the, the primary responsibility being a leader and leadership to protect their own people. Otherwise, if you look at North Korea in a different way, it's a physical conflict, they got nuclear powers, mm. it's a dangerous country as well, and when we consider the security issues. Richard Gamble is a man on a massive mission. He is the founder of the Eternal Wall of Answered Prayer, an ambitious piece of public art that will draw attention to answered prayer through a million bricks. At a staggering height of 50 meters, that's as tall as Nelson's Column or the Arc de Triomphe, this enormous infinity loop is being built between the M42 and M6 near Birmingham. This audacious project is all about prayer, and recently Richard commissioned a survey into the prayer habits of the UK, and the findings bowled him over. We wanted to look at, okay, have prayer patterns changed since the pandemic? What's it done? And if I'm very honest with you, Gethy, my immediate response was, I don't believe it. <laughs> I sent it back, check it later, because I was stunned. And what these results really challenge is that notion that we live in a secular society. It's very clear that is not the case. Um, 50% of 80 to 24-year-olds say that they pray at least once a month. Now, that is, in terms of the, the constituency of that survey, 56% Christian, 8% Muslim, 1% other faiths, and the rest were having no faith, say, having no faith at all. What was fascinating as you sort of dug deeper in that was the fact that uh, not only is this sort of apparent growth within the younger generation, but it's clear that they're engaging with church in a a similar fashion. Now, as I've traveled around the country, you know, we've got loads of churches at the moment, some very much struggling, trying to get people back into the habit of coming to church. But occasionally I'm bumping into people whose online numbers have gone absolutely through the roof. And I think the same for podcasts. I think the same for worship songs. And it's clear that we've got a younger generation of people that are engaging with church in a very different way than our more traditional approach of rocking up on a Sunday. And what's also fascinating is what they're praying for. The, the stat came out that they are three times more likely to pray for government or the country or issues outside of themselves than the over 55s. Maybe, maybe the over, maybe us over 55s are thinking they're beyond saving the government. So we'll move on. I don't know. But I find that really interesting that there is a, a real engagement with God over the larger matters rather than just the personal focus. And the other element for me is, of course, one of the challenges that we've got in this country, and one of the things that why we're building eternal wall to, to, to redirect that is, I, you know, I obviously believe God answers prayer. I actually believe that God is more interested in the journey and the relationship than the answer prayer itself. But we have a challenge, I think, at the moment is that prayer has been dumbed down, cancelled maybe, into this sort of formal, 
we're just throwing some words up to the ether. When I say I'm praying for you, what I really mean is I can't really help you, but I'm standing with you. And, and I think our job as the church is to help the nation see that that is not what prayer is, but prayer is actually talking to God, having a conversation with him and that it has a power. It's not a neutral activity that it actually changes circumstances. Try Praying encourages anyone, faith or no faith, to start a conversation with God and give prayer a go. Well, I caught up recently with David Hart, who told me more about this dynamic grassroots movement. Well, it, it is actually really quite interesting because it's something I think that uh, we stumbled into in that uh, Try Praying really began in 2010 when it was actually my colleague who was also called David but he had a little bit of a light bulb at moment. And he thought to himself, why not write a prayer guide for people who aren't religious and who don't go to church just so that they can encounter uh, Jesus? And he wasn't honestly thinking, how far can this go? How big can this become? He wasn't thinking that at all. He was simply hoping to give whoever was in front of him an opportunity of uh, meeting Jesus. And amazingly, encounters started to happen and people started to meet and Jesus and to his surprise and to the surprise of a few others, there was actually more to come because other people wanted to join in, then churches wanted to join in, uh, either individually or collectively as a group in a town. And uh, as they worked together and they followed his instructions, God really gave them creative ways like bus advertising in addition to the booklet in order to make the message visible uh, in a really non-threatening way. David, you mentioned there that right from the very beginning, people were encountering Jesus. How did people describe those sort of encounters? Well, you know, it comes across in different ways. And the lovely thing is when you are trying to reach out to people who wouldn't really darken the door of a church, wouldn't consider themselves to be religious. They wonderfully don't have Christian jargon and they quite authentically talk about their own experience. And, uh, and it's really genuine. For example, uh, there was a young woman who wrote in of her own abolition uh, to tell us what had actually happened to her. She'd been driving home after just having suffered an ectopic pregnancy. And uh, as she was driving home, she saw a tried praying banner on the side of the church. And she decided because of her devastation, her, her feeling of loss, her sense of loss, she decided to go in and she just sat down and she just simply prayed, God, if you're there, if you're there. And in her own words, she actually records how she immediately began to encounter God in the midst of this devastation. And she said the tried prayer was actually the equivalent of a light being switched on, after which she thought to herself, this has been so real. My experience has been so real. I need to search for more. And so she started going to church and she ended up joining the church and becoming part of the family. So it started off as a booklet. It's, when it finally started, it sounds like it started off as a kind of experiment. If we were to create something for non-religious people who would consider themselves to be non-religious or non-religious, 
Yeah. But the, the, the challenge being, well, try it. Try praying and see what happens. Yeah. Um, the booklet becomes billboard advertising. It, it seems to have a life of its own. And many people listening to this may have seen such adverts or may have seen that booklet called Try yeah. Praying. And at the heart of it, there is this seven-day challenge, as far as I can see. So do you want to tell us about that challenge? It's very, very, very simple. We, we talk about using it and losing it. And so we encourage people who would consider themselves to be followers of Jesus to make sure they have a copy of the booklet in their handbag or their back pocket. And in the course of their week, in the course of them just doing life where they live, in their own community, etc., if there's an opportunity and they're chatting to someone and it's clear that that person has an issue going on in their life and that they're maybe unpacking it uh, in conversation. It's a wonderful tool for that person to say, have you ever thought about trying to pray about this? And simply introducing the booklet and saying, I crossed this booklet, which you can read and use uh, over seven days. Uh, if you take it seriously, the chances are you'll discover Jesus in the process of reading it and uh, following through on the actions. But it's really simple. And all you have to do is try praying for seven days and see what happens. And we do that and we encourage that on a personal level. And then if we step it up a little, we can encourage churches to take that on as a project so that everyone in the church engages in that process. And because we talk about use it and lose it, what we say to um, churches is, Encourage your congregations to take the booklet, read it for themselves, because I think there's integrity in knowing the content of the booklet, especially if you're going to be talking about it to friends or, or neighbors. And you read it for one week. And then at the end of that week, you say, okay, Lord, I understand the process. I, I understand how it's worked in my life. Now, who should I pass this booklet on to? And, and if you can follow that up with future conversations, then you do. And then there's another step up, the third and final level, where we encourage, well, if you've been doing that as a church and you find it uh, successful, you really find it helpful when it comes to engaging with your community, why not go to other churches in your area and suggest to them that you all do it together collectively for an even greater impact and you simply repeat the process. So it's very, very simple. So David, I'm bound to ask you for some of the results that you've seen from this. I mean, it's such a very, it's such a tangible, almost measurable thing that you're, you're suggesting. So I, I, I wonder if you've got a story or two from this. Well, we do. I mean, it is tangible. And of course, we live off the stories. And the, the stories are fuel for what we do. And we love to hear the stories. So even if anyone who's listening right now has their own tried prank story or they've heard someone tell a tried praying story, we'd love to hear about it. But for example, uh, another great story that we got was of a, a lady who regularly helps people who are homeless and struggling with life. And she went to a local park. Her practice uh, is, still is to this day, to get up early in the morning, about five in the morning, and to walk down to her local park and just to look out for anyone who might be homeless or struggling, perhaps because of drug addiction, and to offer them her help in, in any way that she can. And in the course of one morning, she was walking through the park, and she came across a mother and her daughter uh, talking. And the little girl was crying. And basically, the conversation went like this. The little girl was saying to her mother, can I please have 
the money that I was given for my birthday in order to spend on a present for myself. And the mother was saying, this, you don't really understand, but I can't give you that money because we need it to pay for food and to pay the electricity bill. And our friend, as she walked through the park, overheard the conversation. So she went towards them and said, Miss, I couldn't help but overhear the conversation. Is there anything that I can do to help? So they started to talk and she said, I can help you with those things. So she took them off, uh, bought them some groceries, went into the local cafe, sat down, had a coffee, and she gave little girl the five pounds that she'd been asking her, her mother for. And as the, the mother watched and, and, and observed all of this, she eventually plucked up the courage to say to our friend, um, do you go to that church at the top of the hill? Uh, and the lady said, yes, I do. And she said, well, that's interesting. She said, because for the first time I walked past your church two days ago, and I took one of the, those little try praying booklets, and I said, God, if you're real, would you send someone to help me in my predicament? I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. And finally, Michael Penny, writer, director of the Open Bible Trust and fellow Welshman, offers a few thoughts about what it means to cast our cares on God. Life is full of worries and cares and problems, and they get on top of some people. But the fact is, problems are there to be solved. Maybe I look upon that because I'm a mathematician. I love problems. Some problems are very, very difficult. And uh, sometimes you get advice in the Bible which to a non-believer or to a new believer may be a bit strong. For instance, in Psalm 55, 22, we have cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And many people, many Christians are shaken. So then they start questioning their righteousness. And 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Well, yes, he does care for you. You can cast all your anxieties on him, but some people find that doesn't really work. But we have to remember that the Psalms are written to a Jewish society who knew the Lord and worshipped him for years. And Peter was writing to the Jews of the dispersion, who have a huge background of knowledge of God. So quotes like that, if we try to apply them in a rather secular society to as I say, maybe our neighbors who are not believers or maybe to a new Christian, then they can fall a bit flat. And I much prefer Paul writing to the Philippians. Now, this was a new church, a small church uh, in the very Roman city of Philippi. And it was written at a time when Caesar Nero was beginning to start his antagonism against Christians. So they were understandably anxious. And Paul writes to them and gives them advice, extra advice that we don't read in the Psalms or Peter. He says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So therefore, Paul gives some piece of advice. If you're just going to cast your anxieties on him, if you're just going to pray about your problems, 
He doesn't say you'll necessarily have the peace of God. You have to pray with thanksgiving. And during this pandemic that we've been going through and still are going through, it's very easy to focus on the things that are going wrong and the things that we are anxious about. And yet at the same time, if you look around us, there is so much that we can be thankful for. Amazingly, the NHS is a classic example. But perhaps for some of the Philippians, that didn't work so well. And so Paul follows this up with some more advice. And this is his extra advice. Yes, pray with thanksgiving. But he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and I like that word lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So he is saying, no, focus on the good things. Focus on the good things. Yes, you're going to have problems. There's going to be anxieties. There's going to be difficulties. But there's always a lot of good things, noble things, things that are right and pure, things that are admirable, things that are lovely, things that are excellent and praiseworthy. So what I try to do myself in my own life and what I try to advise people to do is to, yes, pray, cast your cares upon God, but at the same time, thank him for what's good in your life and focus what's good in your life. And remember, if you do that, most of these anxieties and most of these worries will maybe not disappear, but they will lessen. And you know what? One of the characters I like is Mark Twain. Not much of a theologian, but he said this, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. Isn't that true of all of us? May God bless you all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Plain Talking. Hope you enjoyed the ride and look out for the next edition in about a month's time. Plain Talking is sponsored by Plain Truth magazine. If you'd like to find out more, please visit plain-truth.org.uk. That's plain-truth.org.uk. Again, thanks for joining us and God bless till next time.